Look at him with Deborah Cox. Was this in Brazil or in Canada you did this? No, there was in, there was in, in uh, Miami, Fort oh. Lauderdale. Okay. I was in Fort Lauderdale. We were recording a song, and I was telling her how I wanted her to sing this way, that way. And she's a fantastic singer, very professional. Yeah, Deborah. I will never forget that session. She was amazing. She is one of the biggest we had. Was that she was, amazing. was that when she was signed to J Records, or was that no after? She, and what year? What year would you say that was? Do you remember? I was doing a track, a uh, 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 girl from Ipanema, with her. She oh. asked me to produce that for her, so I went to America for that. Oh wow! Okay, excellent. She wanted to have a Brazilian producing girl from Ipanema. I said, "All right, I'm I'm coming." Let's I'm on my it. way. I'm leaving now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving now in two days. That's it. So when you walk into a session like that, not ever dealing with Deborah Cox, what are you expecting, you know, as a producer? What's what's the expectation inside? Because, for example, like me, I'd be a little bit like you get the butterflies because, you know, you're working with a fantastic artist, you, you know. She, she is way more fantastic than I thought. She is She's a star. She is nice, friendly. She listens to you. She gives ideas. She she is like, you know, it's a fantastic happening, you know. It's I, I wasn't expecting anything. I was just, you know, let's see what happens. Right. You know? She's great. And you have to have you have to be confident in your thing. Come on, you're gonna record with uh, with Deborah Cox. You have to be. You better be prepared. You better be ready to go in there with your your plan in you, place, right? You can't be a stupid in front of her. You have to be prepared. <laughs> you have to be, you know. Yeah, sure, of course, right? A hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, there's She's no amazing. other way to play it. You have to. Yeah. You have to go in there with a plan. Yeah. Sometimes, even with the best, the plan fails. It, it it happens. And not all the time, but it does fail. What do you do? What do you do? How do you handle you have, it? You got to have experience to find a way to fix it. If you don't, you're dead. Because you, the producer is the organizer of a session. He has to be responsible for everything that, happened, that has happened there. You have to have an answer for everything. Not just an answer, the right answer to fix it. <laughs> wait, wait, I just got laughing because you said not a answer. That means you got to have the right answer because everybody's going the like right this. Answer. Yeah. The engineer and everybody's doing this. Yeah, exactly. And they're going. They, yeah, that's what they do. Yeah, <laughs> watch what I'm doing, guys. You got to have to know what you're doing. So now. You have to know your, you have to know your business, right? And you come from an era like myself where you've had different people around you that did great work. And now yeah. that's changed somewhat to more of the quotations bedroom DJ producer who wears all the hats through the whole session, including mastering. How do you 
who was used to working at these recording studios and these type of budgets make this make the move to assimilate to this new way of working because we've all had to kind of deal with it in different ways. The thing is, if you have a good experience, a long time doing this, you're going to find a way to jump to the, the other century, the other side, you know. If you, have, if you don't have experience, you're dead. Experience, time, it's the word. Time. Time is everything. Everything. The time that I'm going to get home to make the true house stories with you. The time that we're going to stay here talking. The time I have to think about the next answer. The time I have to fix the problem in the studio. Time is everything. If you have no experience, don't try it. <laughs> don't. <laughs> I'm laughing when you said, please, please don't try it. Don't try it. You, you're going to spend a lot of money, maybe all the people's money, but don't try it. If you don't have experience, say no. Be smart. Use other people's money and experience of their time. <laughs> unless, unless, you feel confident and you feel you can do it. So give it a try. But if you don't, don't do it. Remember, there's been a lot of great producer, remixers, and DJs over the years that have said, I can do it, I can do it. They didn't know what they were doing. Okay? Yeah, exactly. And they just jumped in there and the engineer basically ran the session and he was good. One thing, one thing is somebody called you from... Uh, Sony Music, listen, I have a Mariah Carey song. I want you to remix it. And then you have the parts and you go for your place. You stay at home. Nobody around you and you do yourself. You make your own mistakes. Nobody knows it. But you deliver the, the, the song. You, you, you know, you deliver. But if you are in the studio with musicians, the singer, engineers, and you don't know what to do, Run away. Run fast. Run away. <laughs> Run in and go away. Exactly. <laughs> better hurry the way now. Yeah, better hurry. Exactly. Because they're coming exactly. with their guns blazing now. <laughs> this, this is working in the studio is not a joke. Cost money. Oh. And it's usually it's not your money. And you have to think about the orders. You have to know what you're doing, you know. You're right. That's You're a right. job. You're right. Not a joke. I know that. And you have to be disciplined. That's the thing when you work for yourself. Discipline is a big piece of it, right? Discipline. I don't have a problem with that because I'm Jewish. I have discipline. Jewish have discipline. We know what to do. Usually, you know. <laughs> Sorry. It's true. No, tell us. Because Latin people and have a different way of perspective of looking and doing things. They're very yeah, relaxed. Yeah. Very relaxed. Everything is tranquilo. Everything is, we'll get there when we get there. Do you follow that or you say, no, we need to? No, no, no. I have, when I get to the studio, I have everything on paper, right? We're going to do this. Then we're going to do that. Then we're going to do that. Okay. Maybe something went wrong. I know how to fix it. That's it experience, time. We just talk about that. That's it. 
experience in time. And the more you do it, the better you get. Of course, of course. You get the young people. Okay, young people is fine. I was young when I started to do that. I was 20 years old. When I made my first remix, my first remix, I was 20 years old. Everything was right. But I didn't know what I was doing. If I had any problem, I didn't know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. So experience is good. The more you do, the better you get. That is true. That is true. Right? No, you're right. You're right. Um, the thing that I wonder about, you know, you let's just we talk about the way dance music progresses. Okay. And the the order of you remember, because I know you remember this as well. Um, I love your camera, man. <laughs> thank you. Um, My camera sucks. Back to <laughs> back to the days of. And I'm going to bring his picture because I just saw him um, and we all idolized him. And I and I know him as well. I, I see, you know, we talk about the first remixers from the, the hype who created the remix. Correct. Yeah. Tom Moulton. OK, Tom Moulton. And here's a funny one. Tom never being a DJ. Yeah. You know, physically being a DJ, but a great music selector. He's a music lover. Music lover, selector. Oh, yeah. Also wrote in columns for major magazines and wound up getting his, and even model, people know. Yeah, yeah, right. He was a model. He was a model. A model. He was a model. Yes. Exactly. And here is the guy that creates the structure of what is to come. And of course, not too far after that, you have Guys like uh, Tom Savarese, um, other big disco DJs, and the reason why, and Larry Levan, and you know Jim Burgess, yeah, Bobby uh, DJ, Gutigaro, Bobby DJ, right, a lot of people, and we see those names on the records, and I know you saw them as well. Um, yeah, of course. Does that begin to resonate in your mind that at that time? How do I get there? Or is this just something that you're saying? Hmm. I never thought I would be making a remix. Never thought. It was like utopia, you know? How do you say that? Utopia? You got that right. You said it correct. Utopia. It was a utopia, you know? People make remixes and I play the remixes. I, I would never make a remix because this is so far away from me. But in 1982... The first remix, the first commercial remix in the world was released in 1976. It was 10% by uh, Walter Gibbons. It was the first commercial remix, 10% by Walter Gibbons on South Soul uh, Records. Seven years after that, we started to make remixes in Brazil. Okay. Oh, Brazil wasn't making remixes yet? Nope. Okay. Only in 1982, 83. Like seven, eight years after that. <laughs> and then two years, three years after that, 86. I started to make remixes in Brazil too. There was two or three guys only making remixes. Then I was the fourth. So it was that time. And I, I, I never thought I was making remixes. But the thing is, this is the turnover. 
when I started to work in radio stations and I met the people from the record companies. And I said, give me a shot. Let me make a remix of that for you. That I was working in a radio station. Exactly. That this was 90, 92, probably. Yeah, but we're just showing we're just showing the picture of you working in the radio station. Sure, sure. Exactly. I was making remix at that time anyway. Yeah. So uh I used to have a radio show. It was very popular in Brazil because it was, it was broadcasting broadcast for the whole country, you know. It was amazing. So they saw you as a what we call a tastemaker selector where you would break a record on a show, play it. No. And when I start when I start to make remixes, I didn't have the radio show. Oh, you didn't have the I radio was, show. Okay. No, no, no. It was 1980, 1985, and I was working in a big radio station in Brazil. And I was the guy who used to put the songs to play on the radio, to make advertisements. To, I was working in the studio, right? I was editing tapes, cutting tapes and everything. Oh. But I knew the guys from the, radio, from, from the record companies. And I look, look, that's myself and my friend Edgevaldo. See, we, we found. I'm, I'm trying to yeah, keep exactly. up with you, man. I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to keep up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good on that. <laughs> so he's got well, this. So he, everybody see the brown tape. He's actually has a razor and what we used to call a grease pen. He would mark on it my... and cut. Exactly. Do you see my MPC? Oh, bring I'll back. Go back. Picture, I'll please. go back. Yep. Do you see my MPC on the top of the the, the equipment? Yep. That's an MPC with a diskettes box. Anyway. That's house music. See what I'm saying, everybody? That's what house music's all about. True house story. story. And that's really what it comes down to. It's a true house story. So, exactly. you're, you're, so you're, you're editing and setting up commercials and all that for radio. And because I was there working in the radio station, and the radio station was very important at that time, I said to the guys in the record company, Sony Music and BMG and Warner, I said, look, Give me a shot. Let me make a remix. I'm not going to charge you. So because I was on the radio station, they knew that song could be played on the radio station if I was doing the remix. So, you know, <laughs> I always you say, let me do the remix and I play the song on the radio station. Don't worry. We got you. It's We, we hire him and it's on the radio. I said, I I know I'm a Jewish. I know how to negotiate. <laughs> come on, come on. So, so Meme, how many shekels does it take to get the record on the radio? You see, you're not taking money because you're doing no. the remix for free. But they want, yeah, no, they want No, the first remix was for free. The second, no. Okay, come on. Okay, but yeah, but the thing is, they said. If we give Meme to give a to 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 to, to make a remix, they're gonna play it on the radio because he works on the radio. So let's let's give him a shot. Let's let's see what happens. You know, that's when I start. And my mix, my remixes were be, were sent to the whole country, to all the radio stations in 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 Brazil. And Brazil is like America; it's huge. I know it's like, huge. It's Ch China, America. And Russia and Brazil are the <laughs> biggest countries in the world. I right? know. Consume music. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Okay. So that 
So, so explain at that time what a remix was consisting of because later on we used to strip it down to the vocals. Yeah. Tell exactly. us at that time what a real remix was. You had the original parts, like 24 channels or maybe more, and you work with the channels that you have, with the instruments that you have. You're not like, oh, I'm going to add some electronic drums on that. No. You have to work with the sounds that you have. You don't change the, arran the arrangement that much. You work with what you have. You work with the vocals, the guitar, the bass line. You're going to use everything and switch it, switch it up and, you know, make a different structure. You can add a different EQ. You can reinforce the, the drums. You can do this, you can do that, but you can't change the arrangements. That started to happen in, in changing the arrangements, working with the vocals only. It was the end of 80s. It was 90s, right? Right. Yeah, Lenny Fontana. I remember. That's it. No, because people don't know that. They think that that was always like that. I said, no. No. The labels no. would go nuts if you came back. In fact, I have to give Shep Pettibone a lot of credit. Oh, yeah? Because yeah. Shep used to add cowbells and additional stuff to the record. They were still the original parts, but he would do overdubbing. Jelly Bean Jelly and Bean. him Jelly Bean started to change the game. Jelly Bean and Shepherdy Bone, especially Shep. More Shep. They were masters on that. Yeah. Rearrangements. Jelly, yeah. Everything. Jelly Bean is a master. He started to add percussion on that. Latin percussion because, you know, Jelly Bean. So uh, and, uh, he started to add percussions on that and that light up something in my head. You know, I said, wow, percussions? Can I do that? And I started to add percussions. Then I started to change the drums. Then I heard Chaperibon. I said, I can change the bass. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And then when you see, there's only the vocal left. But that was 1987, 88. 89, yeah, 89, 89 right. probably. Almost 90. I think the First major label remix where I heard everything change completely you was what? David Morales with the Instinctual Imagination record, where okay. he changed everything. But, but listen, Shepard Ibon was changing everything. Yeah, but I'm Before talking about the house music, like with the 4-4 house beat. It was more of the street sound where Shep was still keeping that I have to disagree because Shep was doing that before Death Mix. Okay. Death Mix came up in 1987 and Shep was changing oh, no, Shep the game. Was, oh, totally. No, no, I'm not going to say he's not. Yeah. But I'm talking about for the, for the change of a complete rearrangement of music. Got it. Key, new keyboard parts? Yeah, Reproduction? Yeah. Yo, I never heard anybody do that until all of a sudden later on. You know that. That Death Mix. Definitely. I was there. I know you were there. Let's go to that picture. I want right. to show everybody how much he was there. Okay. Oh God. The four of us. Yeah, I'm gonna go to four of you. Okay. I'm gonna find them now, and I just had it in front of me. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. Here we go. So, 
That's it. Hector Romero. Congratulations. His daughter just graduated from Adelphi. Yeah. He's David. my favorite DJ ever. Hector. Hector's a great DJ. David. He's amazing. David Morales that we've had on here Thank as you. well. And I, his mother. That's his mother. And his mother next to Yep. His mother. Yep. His mother. Francis. Frankie Knuckles. Francis Francine, Knuckles. Francine Knuckles. And yep. DJ Meme. It's me. That was in that was in Mykonos. It was David Morales' birthday. He, yep. he always celebrates his birthday in Mykonos every a, year. A and we were sent there to make the parties, you know, when I was at Death Mix. I, I spent like three years at Death Mix, no more than that. When Frankie died, oh. And Judy Weinstein's the manager. Judy Goddess Weinstein. <laughs> I love that woman. She's, she's a goddess. She knows everything. She is above human beings. She's, she is Judy Weinstein. Yeah, Judy and, Weinstein. Exactly. I love her. That was on, on, on Mykonos, too. I spent three years at Death Mix because Frankie Knuckles invited me to go to Death Mix. I said, what? I can't go to Death Mix, Frankie. I'm not, I'm not a Death Mix guy. He said, you are. You just don't know that. You just don't know it. I said, really? Yeah, let me call Judy. I always talk about you. And then he called Judy, and Judy said, he's always talking about you. That's Frankie. I love that picture. I'm pointing to his name, and he's pointing to my name. <laughs> that so, was in Amsterdam. Yes, I see. 25 years of death mix. In and I, I remind uh, Judy Weinstein, Judy, this is the year that death mix is 25 years old. She said, you're right. I forgot that. We have to celebrate. Yeah, 87 years to 2012. And then we went to, 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 to Amsterdam. We made a party, a party, and uh, it, was, it was great. It was a great party. What did you learn at Def Mix that you didn't know? That's a good question. I never thought about that. Or what changed you from what you used to do pre to you being at Def Mix? The point of view that people had from myself. And what would and what in what way would that be? Death Mix is a, an agency. It's more like a family, right? It's not an agency of DJs. How many DJs you had on Death Mix? Not ten. Death Mix started at nineteen eighty seven, and so far they had like seven. That's right. Eight DJs, no more than that. So when you're there. You know you're special. When Frankie Knuckles says you you're like us, you know you're special. So people at that time I was working with the fact that they have an agency, they have a DJ agency called uh colluded talent, colluded talent. And I said, look, uh I'm probably not gonna stay because Oh, there's Simon, Simon Dunmore, the head honcho. Yep. Yeah. Without the beard, everybody. Young young Simon and young Meme. Yeah. Yeah, with the big ears. <laughs> <laughs> I changed that. You see that? You see? Look. It's you different now. What'd you do? <laughs> so, anyway, uh, 
I was working with them at that time. And I said, look, I had a call from Death Mix. They didn't believe it. They thought I was goofing around. I was like, you know, lying. I said, no, it's true. Judy called me and said, uh, come to New York. Let's have a talk. And then I went from, from defected agency to death base. And people started to look at me like a special. It is good from that. I, I couldn't resist to that. I couldn't. When Frankie Knuckles says, come with me, you go. It's true. Right? Right? What are you going to do? What are you going to say no to him? You don't say no. say no. No, Frankie, sorry, you're you, wrong. You don't say no to, to Frankie. Frankie was never wrong. I never. know. I know. I've spent many nights with Frankie. Yeah. And so he, you know gave what us, I mean. he gave us a lot of, a lot of that. I called it Fran, uh, Frankie isms, that things that only he would say. And he, he would recenter you and put you where you need to be. You know? Frankie, Frankie, Frankie had always the right word for anything. It's like Frankie, I need to talk to you. Blah 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 blah. And then he was like, "Do this." I never thought about that. Right, just the one thing he would say. You go. That's what I said. Recentering you. What tiny word? One tiny line, what small line. <laughs> and then he had the answer, you know, he was like he, a he Buddha. Would, he would go, Frankie Buddha Knuckles. Yeah, he was well, a Buddha. Right? Yeah. Exactly. He was very wise. Yeah. The masters, look at them. Tony Humphreys and Frankie with Ted Patterson and Meme all together. Exactly. I I'm miss not a master. Him. They are. I miss him. I do miss Frankie. This was the last time I saw him. Meme, let me he ask. Died, he me, died. He died three years after this picture. Let me ask three, you. Oh, sorry, three. No, three days. Three sorry. days. Let me ask you something. You could play the same records Frankie plays, and I've said this as a DJ as well. Okay. Same way, same order. But when I heard Frankie play them, they sound different. Is because that the? Yeah. Yeah. It was just like. Well, it's amazing. I would sit there and go. You want to see? You want to <laughs> see Frankie playing those records? You don't want to hear the records. You want to see Frankie playing those records? Frankie. It's different. It's it's. He was. Frankie was a universe. He was. He was story, a DJ. He was. He was. He was history, man. He was. It's hard to explain, right? Frankie was. I, can't, I I don't have words to explain. Yeah, it's so. hard to explain. He was. I, I always used to say he's like a force that comes yeah. in and it's just like magic. He was the dark smiles in a good smiles, way. Yeah. Right, he smiles and lights up the room. His smile was everything. An infectious thing, I know. I try to be like Frankie in a way that you have to be kind to people. You have to respect everything. I always remember Frankie when I, in the middle of a situation that I have to deal with people, he knew how to deal with people with a smile. What the hell is that? <laughs> no matter how bad he felt or how angry he was. Exactly. I know. He was like, he was like, 
I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he had that smile that, you know, changed everything. He would say, you know, and we would all say quietly, you know he doesn't like that person. But he's still going to give you Frankie. Speaking of another legend, let's go to this legend who's no longer with us. Mark Cummings. Mark Cummings. Mark. This guy was very friendly, helpful, always there to anybody. He was like a leader. Mark Cummings, the guy who people knows him like the guy who discovered Madonna. Right. He is. Yeah. He came before Jelly Bean. And uh, I remember I went to his place in New York, a big loft. And uh, I said, wow, this place is amazing. Who gave you that, Madonna? He said, basically. <laughs> Sounds like a basically. Sounds like a yeah, basically. basically. <laughs> Mark was, I, I don't understand why, why he, he, you know, he died. Because Mark was to be here now. He was... He was one of this, those people who you, you got to have around, you know, you got, you got to talk to Mark sometimes, but he's not here anymore. So I miss him. Mark Hemmings. Did you, um, was he, was he living in Brazil at any point? Cause I heard he was down there somewhere. No, no. He, he used to live in New York, but he moved to somewhere. I don't remember. I now. thought it was South America, maybe Costa Rica. Or some, I, I thought it was Brazil for whatever reason. Ah. I don't remember. So I know it's down below Mexico for sure, because he was out of New York for a while. And yeah, then... but but he was in Brazil. He was in Brazil. He was in Brazil. But uh, he had a connection with Brazil because his partner in the studio, Tutaquino. You know Tuta? Tutaquino. I remember the name. I don't know him, but I do know. Tuta is big friend of mine. He lives in São Paulo. He's Brazilian. He had this connection with Brazil because of Tuta. Tuta was his partner in the studio, and uh, he came to Brazil like two or three times, Mark. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't remember where he was living, a part of living in America, of course. But he was a pioneer. Mark was the guy from Desiteria. Oh, yeah. Madonna. Yeah, of course. In the 80s? Come on. Him and... and, and uh, there was a few guys in the 80s that were really important as DJs, you know. And uh, he was one of them. Totally. Mark was very... 100%. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and who followed him was Freddie Bastone. Oh, yeah? He the they used to work together. Huh? Yes. He worked at Dance Interior too. His post was on this show. I got him to speak about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is yeah, one thing yeah. I want to bring up to everybody. I want to show this. And this is what I want to ask you to explain this. We didn't know yeah. this existed, but we want to know why. What is this diploma? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what diploma is this. How you like that? <laughs> diploma Mimics no. DJ School. I had a DJ school. Something oh. to teach people to, to DJ, you know. In the 80s, look at the time. 1992, but this was the end of my school. I finished the school in 1992. I started in 1989. Okay. 1980, yeah, around 89, something like that. But uh, it was like a DJ course to teach people how to DJ, you know? 
So you ha- how long was the course? What was involved? And how? Okay. Anyone famous come out of that school that we hear today? Not, not famous in Brazil. Not, not that. Okay. Right. Not, not, not in abroad. But uh, yeah, some, some Brazilian DJs, they passed through my school. But uh, it was fun, you know. People wanted to be DJs and there was nobody to teach at that time. So I said, look, I can do it. I was in a radio station with, with a big radio show. And uh, I said, I'm going to advertise on my radio show. And people are going to show up in the, in, in the DJ course. So it was great. It lasts like three, four years, something like that. Then I stopped. It's, 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 it's too... You have to focus. And you have a, to focus. You have to be a teacher. That's the problem. That Everybody is. wants a teacher. And if you're now mixing, DJing, and making, I was doing and a making lot of gold stuff. records. Look, this guy. Lulu this Santos. Guy, uh, Lulu Lulu San- Look, this guy changed the whole game. He is a big, not a big, a huge... Brazilian artist, okay? Mm-hmm. He, is, he, he was huge in the 80s, and then he, you know, had a, a gap. And in the 90s, he was like, nobody talks to him. He had no success. And then he came to me. He saw one record that I made, and then he came to me and said, look, uh, I'm calling you because I have an idea in my mind. I have no record company, no contract, no record to do right now, but I have an idea in my mind. And I heard the things that you've been doing. I wanted to help me to achieve what's in my mind. I said, all right. And then he said, I want to make this song with a sample of Jimmy Bohorn, You Get Me Hot. You know the song? I said, are you kidding? <laughs> I have the record right here in my Hold head on. right now. Boom. I said, yeah. I said, let's go to my studio tonight. And then like in three hours, we had the whole so, thing. So is this the studio that we should say this is what was happening? Was this the studio? No, this is the studio where I got money because of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so let's say this was the studio that you were working towards, but you had the idea. Got it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. This was my second studio. My first studio was just a room, you know. With uh, two or three keyboards, no drum machines, just by MPC 60, which is also here somewhere in my home. And uh, wait. And then we start we started there. There was no record company. There was nothing. Then I we produced like a demo with two or three songs. Remember, he was a huge artist before. He was down at that time. And when nobody did nobody that, wants you at that time. Nobody's into you when you're in that level. Nobody was in him uh, into him at that time. Okay. I remember going with him to McDonald's. Nobody talks to him. Come on, McDonald's, right? Nobody talked to him. He was there and nobody talking to him. So it was a bad moment. But anyway, when we made this record. He became big again. And then on the next year, he made a record that he insists to call me and Meme, Meme and me. 
I said, are you nuts? What? No. This record is more yours than mine. You made the whole record. You deserve that. So I, I want to call it, you know, like that. And then my name came up as a producer. Then I made a lot of records in Brazil. I started to make pop records, but with the DJ point of view, with beats, bass lines, and everything. So it was a good moment, you know. Then I built that studio. Got it? Go back to that studio. Go back to that studio. So here's a question I have. A gold record in Brazil at that time. 100,000 records. So 100,000 singles to get the gold. Albums. Oh, you did the albums. Okay. I did the albums, yeah. On his hit record, me and my, it, so basically they they pushed it as an album, as an album release, not singles at all. Exactly, it was a whole album. At that time, I was talk, I'm talking about '94, '95. Yes, when when vinyl, when when CDs sold, physical copies sold for real. Yeah, the the city the, there was a transition from vinyl to CD at that time. It was not only CD; there was vinyl also. But the record companies used to say. A single, we can't sell a single. A single doesn't sell. We have to make an album. I said, all right, let's make an album. So I was producing albums. Then I produced albums until 90, 90, I don't know, 2001, something like that. Then the market changed. But I, I can you believe that? Myself, a DJ, who didn't like to play soccer. I was producing records and they were calling me Midas on the newspaper. For the Golden DJ Touch. Mele, the Midas of pop music. I said, me? I'm just a DJ. That was weird, you know? But that's great. That's, that's, that's the thing. You don't, you can't, I guess, how do you put it? You don't dream for that. That's just, you just do what you feel you want to do. And yeah. it changes a movement. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it. I was just doing my thing. I, I was not like, I'm going to change the movement. I'm going to change the world. No, I was just having fun and making money. Right. Making money. And making more records because what happens is, as you are the Midas touch, the golden boy. Wait a minute! Don't don't leave the chair. Wait a minute! Not leaving anywhere. So far, we're doing good with DJ Meme on our first official show, only on Twitch, and everybody has been Dimitri Finesca. Thank you for coming in. Did I miss anybody? Let's see. Did I get anybody I'm missing? This is the record. Oh look, he's got it. Yeah, we made it. Made it, right? That's the cover. The teddy bears, Meme and me. Exactly. <laughs> me and Meme. Me meme and Meme and Meme. And meme. You see my name? me and Meme, Meme and me. Yeah, we Meme, 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 you. Where's the Meme name come from, Meme? Who Sorry. gave? Who gave? Tell you? Again. Who gave? Who? Who made you? Oh, should I say? How does the Meme name come from Mansour? My name is Marcelo Marcelo. Mansour. Marcelo Mansour. M-M-M, like M&M. Oh. Okay? 
And then one day somebody was calling me, calling me M&M, answer the phone. M&M, answer the phone. M&M, please. Yo, Meme. Somebody called me Meme. I said, come on. Meme is a horrible name. Don't call me like that. And everybody heard. So you know how it is, right? Guess what now? You all got to call him Meme now. And they kept Meme, Meme. Can I tell you something? I hate this name. I hate to be Meme. I hate it. What can I do? Have you ever told this to anyone before on any interview? I don't remember. I don't think so. I've never heard of this I one. I don't think so. See? I've never heard this. I've never said this. Okay, before. let me clarify this. On True House Stories, this is what I love about this show. This is what I hate name. this name, DJ Meme. My name is beautiful. Marcello. Marcello Mansour. There's no other name. It's like a royal name. So why didn't you clear so why didn't you clear that up? I tried to, but I can't. It's too popular. And now, Meme, it's everywhere because the internet, Meme. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. That's all you need. That's all we needed to hear. Meme. Did you see Meme play? Did he quit it? Yes, of course. It's too late for that. Ah, what am I going to do? All right, yeah. so let's go down some of these memory lanes. Marcos Valley on the roads. Marcos Valley is one of our, our biggest Bossa Nova artists. My father was his fan. <laughs> ah, here we go. He won't be proud of this picture. He's not here anymore, my father. He will be proud of this picture. I was selling, this is my place, my home. I was selling this Fender Rhodes, actually Fender Roses, because it's... Yeah, it's beautiful. Rhodes. Yeah. Yeah, I sold this for him. I was selling this for him at that time, and people make the picture. So, Marcos Valle is... One of the biggest in Brazil, you know, one of the Bossa Nova heroes. What year did you have your mega store? That's my record store. And in 1991, I opened a record store for DJs with import records, turntables, mixers, uh, uh, you know, everything that a DJ needs, even T-shirts, <laughs> of course, you know. How long did you have that shop going for? I started, we opened in 1991. I left everything in 95, probably, you know, because, you know, I, I, I need to focus. I, I can't do two, three things at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm not that good. I need to focus in one thing at a time. So I was doing a lot of stuff. I was producing records. I was making the radio shows and I had to leave the store to my partner. This is the, the record bag, you know? DJ Megastore. It was very, very popular in Rio de Janeiro at that time. Very much, very much. Every day, I remember the day we opened the store. Listen, the glass, the display, the, the display glass of the store was all blurred because there was so many people inside the store that the air conditioner was not, you know, <laughs> was handle. not enough. Yeah, yeah really, trust me, was not enough. And people were sweating inside the store. There was so much people. I made a lot of money. I couldn't close the, 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 the what, how do you call it, the, the, the drawer. 
I couldn't close the drawer. The money was, you know, coming out of the drawer. It should always I be mean, like yeah. that. It should always be like that. It's just wish we always, every day is like yeah, that. Yeah, of course. I think so. I, I believe that. Should should be like that. But anyway, you know, so for there, was a point, there was a point when I understood that having a record store is not about music. It's about business. I said, that's not my thing. I, I love music. I love music. I, I, I can't be thinking about, oh, when the records are coming up. Oh, I have to travel to buy more records. Oh, wh wh where are the, the turntables? They are not here anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Client, the, that's not my thing. You know, I don't want to work with that. So I left. I left to my partner. Whatever. And then, of course, you come to New York and then you go to Vinyl Mania. Vinyl Mania! Charlie Grappone. If you never went to Vinyl Mania, you don't know what to be in DJ. You know, you're not a DJ. So you bring that back to Brazil to bring that shop, that that feeling to Rio, right? Exactly. You're right. You got me. I wanted to have a record store dedicated to DJs only. DJ Mega Store. I, this is me in the middle with my glasses. Mm -hmm. I don't use it anymore. Huh? I don't have it. He's got perfect, as he grew up, he got perfect eyesight now. Yeah. You remember that store? How good it was? I remember. Of course you do. I remember when that store used to be one block closer to 6th Avenue and it was smaller, yeah. half the size, and it was crazy packed in there. Oh. Really? Wow. Half the size. Where he put the Vinyl Mania Rock Store. Do you remember when he had he had the that was the original Vinyl Mania Records that they got that store they moved to. But I every time I was in New York, I had Vinyl Mania to go downstairs records. What else? Uh, satellite. Satellite, of course. Satellite. Dance tracks. <laughs> Dance tracks. That's it. These four and the others, right? You rock and soul, rock and soul. Oh yeah, rock and soul, with Keith. Oh yeah, they're Keith still does. there, right? Yes, they're still there. It's crazy. It's different now, but they're still there. So let them jump from one to. This is really Roberto Carlos. Yeah, look at Meme. Look at Meme with Roberto Carlos. You could tell everybody who he is, Meme. Roberto Carlos is like our holy glasses. He is one of the most important singers ever in Brazil. Since the 60s, so far, he's the king. We call him the king of music in Brazil. And then he called me one day to make a show with him in Maracanã, which uh -huh. you probably know what it is. Yep. A big stadium. And uh, we spent three days in Maracanã making this show. Then I went to the studio to make remixes for him. And he's an amazing guy. Amazing. But he's like... 80-something years old, you know? Once again, did you ever dream that this would... No. No, see, no. you can't... You can't put, if somebody said to you, you knew, you would laugh at them, right? You'd be yeah, like... Yeah, of course, of course. It, 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 nothing was planned, Lenny. Nothing. I just went with the flow. Because music is my thing. I want to go where music is. So when I saw... I was doing something for the music. When when you do something for the music, it comes back to you. Got it? Yeah. It's, got like, it. a, it's like a religion. 
If you do something for the music, it turns back to you. It don't get, it. I don't get better than that. I mean, well, okay. Exactly. So what was your first international DJ gig leaving Brazil? And what year was that? <clears throat> I My first manager was Wolfgang Zelich, one old guy from Hamburg. And uh, he, he, he used to come to Brazil a lot. And then we met and he said, come to Hamburg one day. And then I went to his place and then he took me to, you know, the, know the clubs in Hamburg. And then I said, I would love to play at this club. And then he said, really? Wait a minute. Hold, <laughs> on. He, Hold Who's on. the owner? Who's the owner? I said, what are you doing? No, wait a minute. Who's wait the minute. owner? Oh, blah, 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 blah. I don't speak German. And then he said, you want to come back in the next year? They're going to put you to play in here. I said, you want to be my manager? I, he said, sure. I, I'm already your manager. You just don't know it. I said, come on. All right. Let's do it. And he was my first manager. And then my first gig abroad was in, in, in Hamburg. Okay. At, the, at a place called Betty Ford Clinic. Oh, wow. I remember Betty Ford Clinic. Yes. You been there? I played there. Yes. All right, so you know the place in the red light district area. I know it exactly. <laughs> That's how I was Hepperbun. like Betty Ford. Hepperbun. Hepperbun. It's the same place where the Beatles played. Yes, the first time. Yeah, right in in Hamburg. Hepperbun. See that people history, but we weren't the Beatles. We were a dance music producer DJ. The true house stories. There you it's go. Here. So now, now tell us this this. This tale of how it all came together. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I'm talking to Mike Cronenberger from Milk and Sugar. Yeah. And he's saying hello to you. Oh, hello, Mikey. Everybody, hello. Tell him to jump on, on Twitch. <laughs> get, get on uh, Twitch. Uh, yeah. He's, 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 saying, he's, saying, he's saying hello. Anyway, milk and sugar from Germany, everybody. Michael, I have to. He's in Brazil right now. I have to meet him in a couple of minutes. Oh, he's doing. Is he? Is he on tour? He's on tour. He has three gigs in Brazil to do. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So you were and saying now you were okay. So you, your first international gig was the Betty Ford Clinic. Betty Ford Clinic, the first one. Okay. Then the China Club, like uh, one day after that. China Club, also in Hamburg, the same place, Happy Bun, same area, amazing. Okay. And then we now get to know Mem as an international DJ, but what really makes the explosion happen? There's always that one thing that takes you out of where you come from and makes you that. The mixes, the remixes. Okay. The cure and the cause. Uh, I Shall Not Be Moved by Kenny Bobian. There you go, everybody. Go find those records. Come on now. I Shall Not shall not Be Moved. I remember that. Brian, Brian Teppert, one of my favorite people in the world, called me one day and said, man, I had... Oh, here's Brian. Cheers, Brian. We were talking on, on Face uh, hey, FaceTime. Man, man, I like what you do. Man, I like what you're doing, man. Can you do that, man? It's like uh, <laughs> Joe Pesci. Yeah, I was Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci of the dance music. 
Right. Exactly. So he asked me, I have this, I just licensed I Shall Not Be Moved by Kenny Bobian, and I need a couple of remixes. Can you do one mix for me? I said, yeah, sure. Send me the, send me the song. You know the song? I said, of course. I didn't know the song. Lies. <laughs> lies, meme. Lies. Sometimes you have to lie. Yeah, it's okay. To for the, right? it's, it's, oh, I know it's the song. Line. It's not a bad line. It's a good I line. I know the song. Yeah. I know the song inside out. Hold on. I you... know the song inside out. Come on. Send wait, me the song. Let wait, me wait, do it. Wait, 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 wait. In those days, was put the thing over the phone. Has anybody heard the song? <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know, right? It's a gospel song. I said, yeah, sure. I'm not gospel. I'm Jewish. Come on. I said, yeah, sure. I know it. It's all right. I'm sending you the parts. And then I did the remix. Boom. And then I did the curate, the cause, the the, the, the orchestra, disco mixed with the strings and everything. I want to get to For that a, picture. I want to find that picture you sent me with the disco orchestra. I want to show that. It's there. I know. It's I saw there. it. I've been passing it. But for whatever reason, I can't seem to find I'm going to find it. Damn it. That's a good. That's a good true house story. And we're to gonna tell. bring. So so what happened? So you did the cure and the cause, and then everything. I guess everything starts to change because now a really big label and internationally now is looking at you and helping you push your name. And of course, I was making I was making remixes for all the records, all the labels before, like so Furic for Brian and uh, some all small labels too, but. Dimitri from Paris, my old grumpy friend, okay. introduced me to Simon Dummer and said, Simon, you should hear the things that this Brazilian guy is doing. There he is. Dimitri, I love this. I love this it's person. It's funny how you said that. I like that. Grumpy. I love, I love this person. It's the grumpy, grumpy man. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm grumpy too. He's not grumpy with me, but he is grumpy. I know. I, I, we were together. He's grumpy. He's grumpy. Yeah. Now, yeah. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Meme and his <laughs> orchestra. Look. This was the day when we record The Cure and the Cause. After the session. Then I took this picture. Let me tell you the story about this. This is a good story. Okay? The thing is, a friend of mine from England sent me the original version of uh, The Cure and the Cause by Fish Go Deep. The th we, we used to play uh, Dennis Ferrer mix, right? Yep. Dennis Ferrer mix was the mix. Nobody knew the original one. So we were playing Dennis Ferrer mix for about a year. And then one day a friend of mine from England sent me, sent me the, the original mix. But it was not the original. It was just the keyboards and the vocal, like a keyboard Pella version, right? Yep. And then uh, he said, look how beautiful this is. And then I heard the original chords. I said, wow, this is amazing. I never I never knew this song was so beautiful because I know the, the Dennis Ferrer song, which is very underground, but these chords are amazing. And then I spent like 24 hours with that in my mind. And the next day I was writing Simon Dunmore on the fact that I said, Simon, would you give me a shot to make you a remix of The Cure and the Cause? Then he wrote me back saying, Meme, this song was released one year ago. We're not working this song anymore. It's, it's you know, fading out. So we don't need a remix. 
Then I said, what am I going to say to him? Right. What, what's the next thing to get him to, to persuade him? To give me the parts. So let me give you Simon Dunbar. He's like. Then I had a crazy idea. I said, look, I had an idea to make it with strings and everything and making it like a disco record. And then he wrote me back and said, oh, that's not a bad idea. Okay. Then he put me on the look with somebody else at the factory and said, look, give him the vocals and everything. So he's going to make a remix with the orchestra, blah, blah, blah. I said, thank you. Uh, then I was like, fuck, what am I going to do now? <laughs> Let's go back to the string arrangement. Wait, did Look, you have, many, did you have the orchestra? I have, there? I have to pay all these people. Well, okay, say, did you have this it, orchestra yet in mind or you just... No, I, got not, I had nothing in mind. Nothing. I was lying. Again. <laughs> I was lying. And I said, I have to make an orchestra. I have to put on an orchestra to do that. How am I going to do that? I don't know. So then I start to do that because I'm very confident. Got it? I know the disco. I know how disco is. And I had this idea in my mind. So I started to work the structure of the song, the beats and everything. Then I called a maestro. I said, look, can you come to my place? I told him, I want this. I want that. I want your ideas too. So let's put everything together. And then you write a score, and let's record next week. He said, okay, I'll be there. Then we did it. And I said to Simon, he was like, wow, let's do it. The rest is history, you know? See? But nobody knew. I, the good thing is, the good thing is, I, I didn't have a budget. I was on spec. And then I called the master, I said, Look, we worked together many times. I need your help now. Can you help me? He said, yes. I, I called the studio and said, look, we worked together many times. <laughs> Here we go. You're negotiating now. Everybody. Can you help? Yeah, yes, exactly. Can you help me? I don't have but I don't have a budget. He said, yes. Then I called the musicians. And you did the same thing? Can you help me? <laughs> yes. Can you help me? Yes. Can you help? Then I, I had all the musicians, everything for free. Mimi, of course. If you would have had, if you would have had to pay that physically, how when, much would that would have cost when the, you? When the factor released that, he paid me. Then I paid all the people. So how much was the budget for the, the orchestra and stuff? One thousand five hundred pounds. <gasps> Twenty two hundred U.S. dollars. My God. Yeah, around that. Maybe With the that. studio, the studio and everything. Everything. That's great. There. That's a good deal. Yeah, because it's way more cheap to 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 record in Brazil. Oh hell yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, but you know what that would have cost to do in New York? Forget it. Then when I saw it, I said, "That's what I'm gonna do now." Then I started to make the DJ Mimi Orchestra. Any love, love is you, and a lot of records with the orchestra. People gave me the money, and I and I paid the orchestra, and bam. Because if you go to record in in, in, in in England or in America, it's going to cost you way more than that, right? Even in the time when those records were made, I talked to the producers. It was costing them in the 70s. 
seven, eight, nine thousand, twelve thousand, and that time, and that, and you can imagine what that costed now. You know, you know the last song Dimitri made called "Music Saved My Life." You know that? Yes, I do. It has strings, orchestra arrangement, and everything. He called me to record the orchestra for him to produce the orchestra for him with the with the the budget from the factory. Yeah, because so it was cheap for him. Yeah, yeah, because he can't do it in France. It's too expensive. Too expensive. Then I made it for him because he's my friend, you know. So I can I did it for him. I was producing the orchestra. When you hear the orchestra, is the DJ Meme Orchestra playing? Got it? You're the That's Vince. It. My man Meme is the Vince Montana of Brazil, baby. Wait a minute, not that much. Not He's that getting much. there, DJ Meme Orchestra. Vince Montana. See, but Meme, we didn't what? know. See now, unless you explain all this, nobody really knows what truly goes into putting this together. Organization. Fear of failing. You still have a fear. You believe in it, but you still got a fear. Of, Can we make this work? Can we get everybody paid? The thing is, until you get to the studio, you don't know what the guy wrote on the score. You, you have an idea because you gave him some ideas and he's going to put it together with his ideas. And he said, he, he calls you and says, I'm ready. Let's go to the studio. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you don't know what excitement or failure and the is thing, Yeah, and the thing is, if you don't like something, you have to be able to talk to him and change it and talk to the whole orchestra. How are you going to do that if you don't have any experience? Back to the first hour, everyone, when I asked him, should you have experience when you deal with the Meme Orchestra? Answer? I had my experience before the orchestra, which was a mu musical experience. And then I brought it to fix and find a solution when I had to change something. Got it? I said, look, I don't like this line. What do you think we should do? I think maybe you should go to this note, blah, 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 blah. And then all of them have to write it again on the score because they don't play without a score. Orchestra people, they don't play without a score. They have to have the paper. You don't say like, ba, 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 ba. They don't play it. They need a score. They need somebody to yeah. write the score out and can the music charts to that. It's like 20 minutes without nothing, people writing, changing. Let's have a coffee. Let's talk, blah, blah, blah. That's it. If you don't like it, you don't have to let it go. You have to stop it. Hold it. You, stop, 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 if, stop, stop. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not confident, because you got to be confident to stop it and say what you want. How do you say what you want if you don't know what you want, if you don't know how to talk to musicians? Because, Lenny, you know, they talk different. The language is different. The, 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 the words are different. The musical words is different. You're right. It's trying to explain how what you need is not easy when you don't know how to explain it in musical terms. It's not easy. It's not Correct. easy. It's not easy. But then after the third session, I was feeling like a master. <laughs> you were a master at that point, right? I'm feeling like I'm not a master. You know, I'm a, look, 
I'm only a DJ. Let me go back to this picture. Who started right here at his first club, Papagayo. The first Papagayo, which means parrot, as you see. The Parrot Disco Club. Parrot Disco Club in Rio de Janeiro. It was the first club I played when I was 15 years old. So when you're thinking at 15, did you ever think 30 years later, whatever, that no, you're going to no be, way. you're going to be, you're going to be at this level, hanging no with way. these guys, talking, oh. stone, Stoney, Eric Copper. I mean, look at the people that you have been around. I mean, yeah. you know, played with Jamie Lewis. My brother, my brother, I was, I was paying to be at the conference and see Eric talking. And then I turned to the other side and was I was doing the panel with him years after that. Right. Know? See? At first in 1985, 85? No, 95. I was paying to be at the panel. One of the guys was, you know, watching Eric talk for three or four years. Then when I started to be recognized by people, he called me to be, you know, a panelist. I was like, really? I don't have to pay anymore. <laughs> Crazy. I was on the other side, you know. It was, it was great, man. The good thing about everything that we're talking here is the people. To know the good people, Frankie, Eric, Lenny Fontana, you know, there's a bunch of good people around that because you are being recognized as one of them, you get to be their friends and they are really inspiring, you know, they are really part of your experience. They, they teach you something. Just being there and having a chat on a dinner or a lunch, you learn something. This is my treasure. It's a wonderful treasure. I have to ask you about this old picture. This I don't know. And maybe you can enlighten me because I'd like to know what this is. This is when I was starting to remix. This was the other remix that was in Brazil called Irai Campos. And this is myself. Yeah, I know it's you there, of course. Each one, each one holding others' record. I did that record that he's holding now, and I, he did that record. That oh, I'm okay, out. nice. Yeah, we were proud to be remixes in Brazil, you know. That's and, it. And this guy who changed the game for all of us in around 06. David Guetta. David Guetta out of France. He is a gentleman. A nice person, friendly person, a great human being that he is. He came to Brazil and his manager called me and said, look, David wants to record Brazilian sounds, percussions, blah, blah, blah. I don't know anything about that. You mind to help him somehow? Can he call you now? Do you mind? He said, no. He called me now. I'm waiting. Then he said, look, I need uh, I need some percussionists to record some, you know, tracks in Brazil. I would like to have Brazilian musicians playing, but I don't know the people there. I don't know the studio there. I, I don't know nothing there. Can you help me with that? I said, sure. In 20 minutes, I had anything set up. And then he said, look, can you go with me to the studio? I said, of course. Then we spent like four or five days in the studio. 
It was amazing, amazing. Because, you know, people talk many bullshit about him, like he's not real, he doesn't do his stuff, he's blah, blah, blah. He's, he's nothing like that. He's for real. He's a house DJ like you and me. I remember I played with him in, at Space. And back when we were playing vinyl. So I do know that. I do know he knows how to play music. That's it. He's a great DJ. I, I, I can't tell you everything we talk because it's very private, but uh, he is in trouble. Like, I, I can't change, man. I would love to go to the house, house thing, but I can't. No, he's a pop star. He's in a different uh, world. Yeah. He, he, said, he said, look, I, I can't change it. Right now, the only way is to stop, let people forget about me, and then come back is a different thing. Because I can't play what I want. No, he's got to play now. He's got to play the records that that? all over the Yeah, I believe all over the way. The what records people want to hear that he made, all those big hits. It's like selling your soul to devil. It's the same thing, you know. You want money? Okay, you're gonna make money, but you're not gonna play your stuff anymore. You're gonna you're not gonna play the things you like anymore. I don't want that for me. I love money, but how much? Not as much you want not as much as I love music. You want to make enough to be able to be comfortable, so that you could do what you enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Not make all this money and now hate what you do, which is hard. Yeah. yeah. You know, here and here and here we go. The master himself, Jelly Bean. Yeah. With JoJo. Yeah. And Ca- I remember when you went to do that gig. I remember when they, they announced you were going up to Canada to play. I was like, oh. In Canada, exactly. Canada. That was in Canada. We were playing at uh, Disco Capital, a party that Jelly Bean and JoJo throw, throw up, and they called me to play with them in Canada. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was months before the pandemic. Right. Was France Jolie there? Yeah, no, no, that was a different story. Jelly Bean was going back to New York, and I was going back to New York too because my son was in New York. I said, I'm going, I'm going there to meet you. And then Jelly Bean said, You're going to be in New York this weekend? There's a celebration, a disco award in Brooklyn. Oh. You want to come up? I can put you on the list. You know what it is? Legends of Vinyl, I remember. Exactly. That's it. Legends, Legends of Vinyl. Of vinyl. Exactly. Yes. Legends of Vinyl. He said, you want to come up? I said, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, let's do it. Everybody was there. Richie Family, Francholi, uh, Denise Montana, Anita Ward, uh, a bunch of people. A bunch of people. The uh, Rays, a little loving. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The doctor is away. A little loving keeps the doctor away. Keeps the doctors away. <laughs> exactly. A little loving. They were all there. Da, 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 da. Little loving. Yeah, yeah. I had to think for a minute because we're in house music and I had to think it's in my disco mode. Yeah, yeah. One wow. hit wonder, right? Yeah, that's the only record I know the Rays had that yeah, that made exactly. any kind of real noise. And uh, French Jolie was there and had to had a picture with her. Oh, sure. She's a nice lady. She is. She is. I think we covered so many things. I will say this. David Penn goofing around with you. <laughs> yeah. David Penn's hot now. 
He's the hot I love kid. Him. Yep. Guy Barato. This this guy is one of my best friends, one of my favorite people in the world. Nice person, gentleman, always there to help. And uh when I go to Sao Paulo, I have to meet him. We go out for dinner. He's he's a good friend. He's one of my favorite friends. Mr. Sam. This guy was the guy who taught me the value of the vinyl. Before that, I used to love music. When I met him, he told me how to love the vinyl itself, the records itself. Got it? This was not this, this picture, but I met him. I was 16 years old. So uh, he was a master on the north side of the city playing R&B and, uh, you know, more soul stuff. And then he told me how to value the vinyl. I, I love this guy very much. He's one of my masters. And of course, you in Melbourne, Australia. Amazing. Melbourne was, Melbourne is, is like Earth 2.0. I mean, Australia is like, wow. It's a place that uh, it's amazing. I love Australia. Australia. Richard Earnshaw. Exactly. Richie Earnshaw. I love this guy. And what is this? He was Tocando? there with me in Sydney. Ah, and then, where's this now? Tocando. Is that also a- there? Also there oh, in also, Sydney. It was in Sydney? Okay. We oh. were playing on a boat ah, at yeah. the, the Sydney area, Sydney Bay. The Sydney Theater is on the back, but you can't see it because it, it's the other side. And this it- is Italy, my oh. place in the world. One day I'm going to move to Italy because I love so much these people, this place. This this was probably one of this was probably one of my best gigs ever, ever, because I felt so at home with these people that you know how it is, right? I, I felt so at home. There's an affection was, that they love. There's an yeah. affection that nobody can understand unless you play there. The people, just, Italians, do it better, right, Lenny Fontana? Yes, it's true. And there we got Jask. Brian Tappert, yourself, and, and John, John Julius Knight. Knight. John Julius Knight. Love these three people. It's amazing and you got such great, a... great photos. Amazing. You got beautiful photos. Yeah. I love these people. Friends, man. Friends are everything. Love my friends. What is it? Oh, that was Southport Weekender. It's not a good picture, but... You rocked it. You rocked it. Yeah. I and mean, look, what, look what music is taking you. Bali. Bali. Bali, man, I had so much food at that day. Look at the look at the table. Look at the table, man. There, there was a bunch of food. And they eat with the hand. They eat with the hands. Crazy, right? <laughs> and, a, and a sad but happy one. Okay, everyone. Here's one that's sad but happy. I remember when I was in Bali, I said, wow. Ukraine. I am in Bali. Yeah, that was Ukraine. That was the first time and the only time when I couldn't focus on the music because there were so many beautiful women looking at me at that time. No, that's true. That's true. I'm not, I'm not a humanizer. Look, I'm not a humanizer. Okay. But I couldn't, I couldn't focus because there was six women in front of me like this. <laughs> me? Really? I love you. My. Elf, DJ Mimic. <laughs> I did 
think I think it was great. I think we have Preeti. This this lady is a special person in my life. She was my second manager, and I love her as a mother, as a daughter, as a friend. As a, she is one of my one of my my most important people in my life. I love her so much. She was my manager. She came to Brazil with Terra Viva, and uh, we met her. Uh, we met uh, at a party. And she said, oh, you DJ Meme. That's funny because there are some people that are looking for you in England. They want to play. They wanted to play there. I said, I don't have a manager. And then she said, you, you want me to be your manager? I said, yes. There then she was my manager for years before I go to Defected. Then I went to Death Mix. But she was my manager for years. And we are still friends. Awesome. I love her so so much, so much. You have I, no idea. But it's nice to, you know, I'm hearing this from you. It's not like you did the thing with some of people we know dispose of people no. when they're finished. I noticed you still have the same people that you know for a long time around you, including me. I know this because you don't have, you don't let anyone go. You always check in with people from time to time. I know that. My, my heart is connected to my brain. I want to let everybody know something very important too. Meme is okay. blessed. He's a father. Okay. He's got his daughter and he's got his son. Four. Yeah. Four. I, I, he'll let you four know. Kids. One of them went on to go and follow his footsteps. Yeah. In the music industry. And we were joking about it last week about how his son, he'll tell you in a minute, how his yeah. son is, is up, is getting up there in, in the Brazilian major label. Remember, tell us who who is which one is the one that's now following and taking it further than you did. This is very funny because Daniel, my son, my number three, number three, he, he's gonna turn twenty six in, uh, in September. He is a manager, A and R manager on Warner Music. This is crazy. He he he's living in his own apartment now, but he was living at home with me, but. Uh, it, this is crazy having A and R in the family, Wonderful. right? I said to him, "Give me a job." <laughs> no, <laughs> wait, father. I, I, you know, you know, father, you're too, put... you're too expensive. I can't afford you. I'm not in no, budget. He said, people gonna, people gonna sell. I, I'm, you know, I'm putting you on the game, but you know, wait a minute. Let me, you know, <laughs> let me get he my is... feet wet. Let me get my feet wet. Yeah, exactly. He is very talented. He's a bass player. He ba he plays bass in everything I do. And then uh, now he's working at the Warner Music. Come on. Mehmet, incredible. Congratulations on your family. Congratulations you, that decades later you're still doing it and not stopping on the no conditions. Ain't no stopping us now. Don't you love that? Did you have that's another thing? And I always say this in interviews too. When we started doing this, we didn't think there'll be this longevity. Because there was no... It was going to look back at. The thing is, when we, when you and me started, there was no uh, a long road. There was a limit, right? Yeah. There was a limit. Because we, we, we became what we are because we started to make music. Right. When you make, when you make music... You get into people's house. 
And then they they recognize you because before just playing on clubs, you play, you play on clubs, you play records, you play records until the day that you say, okay, I'm done. There was an end before. Right. You could never plan that, right? We are the first generation of these people. Right, because a lot of those first-generation guys went on to work at the record labels, became big record promoters or executives. They left the sure. DJing, completely left it behind. And and when you talk with them, they say, oh, yeah, I used to play it. I go, yeah, I remember the name. I know you played. It's kind of sure. funny. They always tell you that. But in our world, we still, you know, you like you, record shop owner. You know, you did this, you did that, play on the radio, make promotions. Anything for music, anything. I was a DJ. I'm a DJ. I had a record store. I was a radio DJ. I produced record. I produced remixes. Man, I'm in the music. I'm a man of the music. That's that's what I am. You music know? man. And I'm always big. Yeah. Music man. Music man. Mehmet, thank you. Mehmet, is that's there any? I, I think we covered what I would say: soup to nuts, including dessert with strawberries. Exactly. <laughs> Mehmet, and cream. Don't move it. I just want to say a couple of last things and then we'll